We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, happy 2022 CMOS girlies. We all survived 2021. What a wellness god miracle. How are you, Kate? I'm doing good. Uh, new year, same us, same memes, same girl bosses. Um, yeah, we not much has not much has changed since like the these past few days of yeah, from 2021 to 2022. You know, this week between Christmas and the New Year's, it just feels like no man's land. I mean, my life generally feels like the Truman Show by the nature of what I do for work, but really these past days, I'm like, oh, it's Sunday today. What? What was different between now and three days ago? Um, so I've been in robot hibernation mode, but it's a little nice time to do some reflection, some meditation, the shit we always do. But Emma, any um, resolutions for you? Any resolutions for me? I was like journaling and writing stuff out. And I think like some, some of them related to like health and wellness. I think like this year, I really just want to like trust my body and not work against it. And I've been really, really good at kind of like, um, you know, battling my stupid like food rules that I have rooted in my head um so I think like that's like the biggest one health wise and then I think just like living more in the moment kind of like being more like close with my family kind of like checking in on like my cousins on my mom's side because I really care about them um save money Kate and I were talking about this before getting <laughs> in the pod that December was a wild month for spending money but it is for everyone yeah I was um, a moment where I just didn't think you know everything's temporary we're all going to have climate change and I just balled out but now back to safety mode now yeah back to safety mode and then you know just kind of pursuing my dreams with Kate whether <laughs> that's like the podcast and other things yeah being girl bosses dreaming big um, yeah, I agree. I've been, I bought like three self-help books, like recommended from one of my friends who does creative direction. And I was like, I never really buy these pseudo hippie books. Cause you know, it's easy to just be like, I don't need that. Like, I don't need, you know, to think about my feelings and reflect, but I bought a book that is about like healing your inner child, which like is in for me, you know, it's a very like cringy hippie thing to some people, but it's very interesting when you think about like what you were as a kid and where you felt like, you know, even if you've had a good childhood, bad childhood, whatever you want to claim it, um, thinking about areas where you felt like you didn't get love or attention or like thinking about wishes and dreams you had. And a lot of the exercises in the book are actually really fun to do. They're kind of weird, but it's like, go on a walk with your five-year-old self and like, take her around. And like, I, when I was 16, you know, I had this like girl boss dream. Like I want to live in New York. I want to do all this stuff. And I think I catch myself being just like ungrateful to live here at times that I'm like, I've worked here and like to have my own apartment, pay my own rent, like do literally do a podcast with my best friend. And I'm just being like, you know, ungrateful for it. So I've been going on a lot of walks with like my inner child and it's been very um, fun and cute and corny and cringe, but I'm tapping into the corny and cringe for the new year. I would say my health resolution is just like Emma said, a lot of it with fitness, like coming off of an injury. I think I've been really realizing that like, Kate, you got to do recovery. You got to fucking do recovery and you got to stretch and you have to get stronger. I think a lot of runners fall into injuries when you're only running. And I know that I was probably my best running shape when I came off of playing college volleyball because I was lifting so much different muscle groups. And like, I didn't need all that muscle mass, but I found that I've become so weak since not lifting. And so I think owning up to my weaknesses is something that I am like holding myself accountable to. Like, being dead ass clear in the eyes when I'm like lifting a weight and like, I can't do it being like, yep, you're weak. Keep fucking going. Um, that's been one thing. And then I think personal thing is just like actually believing in myself. Like that's something that's like 
always been a, a issue for me, but that's kind of what the energy I'm using for personal career stuff, podcast stuff, and just actually taking a chance on myself. So we have good, good vibes into the new year. Um, a lot on the docket. We have a lot of new friends in Geneva. A lot. Yes. Hello, new people. Um, I hope you're listening to the podcast. podcast. Um, and you should be because we have a podcast channel in Geneva where we announce when the podcast is out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you joined Geneva, thank you for joining the incredible global community. It is thriving. Um, we also just like started a fashion channel because people were requesting. So, you know, anything is possible in that app. If you are an active user, if you are not, I understand because sometimes I'm not an active user, but <laughs> I urge you to communicate with the girlies. And if you are someone who's not in Geneva and you're like, oh, I want a friend who's into like niche wellness topics like me, because no one else in Des Moines, Iowa knows what ashwagandha is girl we got an app for you. And Emma and I are going to start calling it the CMOS Girlies app just because I think it's been confusing. Um, If you listen to the podcast and you're like an OG CMOS Girlies, we would love your feedback about what things you think, like if you're talking to a friend about the podcast, for example, like what do you tell them? Because we're trying to figure out how to talk about the podcast better because people are still following the meme page. Like, oh my God, you guys have a podcast. We get DMs. Like, can you guys explain ashwagandha? It's like, yeah, go back to episode 17, babes. We have. You know, very happy to entertain DMs most of the time, but I think Emma and I are like, God damn it, can people, and I know it too, because I am very hesitant to start a new podcast. I'm like, what if I hate the the, the way that these podcast hosts talk? Emma and I get called out that we have vocal fry all the time and we just sound really fucking annoying in our episode. Don't worry. We read the hate comments and I tap into them. Yeah. And also if you guys like, don't like the setup of like the podcast, if you wanted to be like, you know, we're willing to do whatever you guys want because at the end of the day Kate and I aren't the ones listening to the podcast it's you guys yeah, you guys are yeah. the ones who are absorbing the information not us we're providing it yeah and we hope to do more I think like we've said this before the podcast is free we make very minimal money on ads um but we want to be yeah it's like not enough to actually do this as a job girlies and the app Geneva you know CMOS girlies app all free memes all free so we've been thinking thinking about like how to exhaust our energy and what makes the most sense however we do know that like a lot of people are like, oh, I want to listen to a podcast that has supplement recommendations. We're going to make you guys like a podcast directory. Um, Emma's working on like the visuals of that because I think we get a lot of questions about like, where can I start? And I'm like, okay, just scroll and like look around a little bit, but maybe we can make it more appealing for you guys and get more listeners that way. But yeah, whenever you guys talk to your friends about like, I'm listening to this podcast or I like this meme page, like let us know what you say. Um, Cause we're trying to figure out how to communicate about like CMOS girlies world domination in the most effective way you know get the word out there get the gospel out there take down the that girl aesthetic of wellness waters um so yeah amen amen and yeah today's episode if you guys are curious <laughs> it's about it's about plastics it's about microplastics um kate and i wanted to do a deep dive educational kind of nerdy episode because you know the last few were a bit brain dead um for right back in sesh. the holiday season you know we deserve to be silly and goofy but we're entering 2022 strong with hella information so you guys can be the smartest bitches on the streets or on your campus i know you college kids are in j term right now you're chilling and your app you're on tiktok your brain cells are going down me too however listen to this podcast you're going to learn a lot about history those weird recycling symbols and you're just going to hear us rant about plastic for a little bit which i think is on point for 2022 considering that it's 50 degrees in new york right now um so climate change and i will call you back in a little bit We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get into the damn thing. So plastics. Yeah, a lot of you girlies ask because I think most younger people these days are into sustainability, interested in their own individual action, where to start. It's so daunting. So this episode is going to get into it and a lot of how it relates to like your own health and wellness, but then a lot of like why plastic is so predominant, typically in the U.S. So to start off, like most of this podcast is going to be referencing single use plastics. So these are goods that are primarily made from fossil fuel based chemicals, which are also known as petrochemicals. Now, when you get to the history of politics here, it'd be a little Kate Professor Day, but I'm not going to get too much into the science of it because like I'm not a science person. And though I like worked in climate change stuff for a little bit, like kind of communicating about climate change through super scientific stuff, it doesn't break through the noise. But if you're talking it from like a human rights, like personal perspective, it's a lot more tangible and like understandable to get this like climate change stuff. So when you think about single use plastics, it's basically drilled for the source materials of these plastic using oil and gas, which are fossil fuels. It leads to methane leaking and flaring. So that's often is what leads to like huge, huge climate issues, like whether it's clearing forests and wetlands, these are areas that typically would have sequestered carbon. And now due to like how we find single use plastics and get them to use, um, it's actually harming the environment. So it's like, a really bad practice just from like a a global perspective but from like a consumer perspective single-use plastic shop shopping bags became available in the U.S. in 1979. Now when I did this research I thought they would have been a lot um, closer to like World War II maybe like convenience culture of like the post-war era but it was in the late 70s so in 1982 two of the largest grocery store chains which are Safeway and Kroger began offering single-use plastic bags to customers and then this sort of started to create this consumer mindset that when I go to the store, I get these plastic bags became very predominant in American culture. Starting in the 1990s, the public started to see a huge increase of commercials and messaging about recycling plastics. So what do I do with this weird plastic bag I got from the grocery store? And this is the entrance of lobbying. So maybe if you don't live in the U.S. or you just want like a definition of what lobbying is briefly, it is when people that work outside of the government, interest groups, so if you're thinking about guns rights or abortion rights or religion or oil, plastic interests, they are going to government officials and they're trying to influence them. So lobbyists are technically like influencers, like they have money that they're giving to politicians. There are a lot of confusing campaign finance laws that determine like how much you can give. Can it be a direct donation? Like how does all that stuff work? But when you think about lobbying, these companies are just trying to influence to get favorable policies that align with their most of the time economic interests passed into law by government officials. So lobbying by the oil industry started to promote plastic. Companies like Exxon, Chevron, Dow, DuPont started to go to government officials and try to make sure that plastic was predominant in the U.S. and we were producing a lot and lot and lot of it. The biggest issue here, and I think most CMOS girlies probably know this, is that recycling your plastic is a huge, huge lie. And we're going to get into this now. So the industry, these like oil people, basically, they sold the public an idea that they knew wouldn't work. The majority of the plastic would once be recycled, but at the back of their mind, they knew that like none of this was going to get recycled. But during that process, they made billions of dollars to sell this new plastic into the world, even though they knew at the end of the day, like, yeah, this is not actually going to get recycled. Um, And if you want to know, there's like documents that show industry officials knew about like the reality of recycling plastic as far back to the 1970s. There's a really good website called Open Secrets if you ever want to get into lobbying disclosure stuff. Now that's like really nerdy government stuff. You don't have to, but that's where these like industry officials, like all their disclosure and campaign finance stuff lives. So in the 1980s, the industry, the plastic industry felt that they were under threat because a lot of people started to be like, hey, I don't think I can, you know, recycle this plastic. And so they started to ramp up PR campaigns. So in the 1990s, Congress started to introduce bills in the state legislature and Congress to start banning the use of plastics because of the performance of like how it was affecting how much waste we produced. So like the industry saw like, oh shit, Congress is trying to ban plastic. We better act fast and get people like super into plastic. So the industry's like created a bunch of special interest groups. Um, One of them was called the Council for Solid Waste Solutions. And the industry wanted to get like recycling plastic into people's homes. So this is what created those blue bins that we all know and love and like live in our house or live in our you know school or wherever the fuck you congregate at. 
Um, this is the first example of like this individualization of the plastic problem. So diverting, and I'm going to talk about this a lot in the episode, kind of like what individual action is like neoliberalism, I'm not going to define, but neoliberalism, how I'm going to use it in the context of this podcast is basically when an individual's economic actions are like their only like real indicator of what is valued. Um, like you are viewed as an economic vehicle to the government what you do beyond that doesn't really matter. Like whether you have blue hair, whether you play tennis, it's all about like what you consume and how you can contribute to the economy. So plastics play like a huge role in that because now it's like we all, you know, this is the biggest thing that probably makes sense to people. People only really care. Like I have my tote bag and I have my metal straw. That is neoliberalism, that you are not thinking about like the broader systems that like, why do we use so much plastic? You are thinking about your individual economic action. So as a counter to kind of what was happening in Congress, where Congress was like, plastic is really bad, we better curb this in in the 90s, the industry had to deal with the fact that plastic is really difficult to recycle, which we're going to get into later. And I'm sure a lot of you guys know, because those weird recycling symbols make no fucking sense at all. Um, Recycling plastic doesn't make economic sense at all. You know, there's so many different types of plastic. They can't be melted down together if they're mixed. And most plastic now is hybrid material. So it's really confusing for manufacturers to know what to do with it. And it has to all be sorted. And this is where the creation of recycling symbols comes. So consumers started to get ads that they started to believe that like, hey, this plastic bag I got from Safeway. Yeah, I can recycle it here. I'm just going to throw it in the blue bin. Like people's, you know, shopping pattern started to be, I go to the store, I get the plastic bag, I go home, I recycle it. Good. I'm done. Like I did it. I've contributed to society. I'm helping. Woo. However, this, you know, this is obviously false. Uh, You can't recycle plastic bags, which we'll get into later, but this kind of from the business side of it, there was one guy in San Diego named Coy Smith and he ran a recycling business. So he had to deal with like sorting plastic and stuff. And he allowed people to put It started off with just two plastic items in their bins, which was typically soda bottles and milk jugs, but he lost money on them because he said that like aluminum paper and steel um, were the things that would drive, you know, the economic like incentives as his company because those things were, you know, actually recyclable, but he had to produce so much more of like aluminum and glass products in order to profit because recycling plastics was just making him lose so much money. But he noticed one day that people started to put everything plastic in the bins. And he was like, why the fuck out of nowhere? And it's because now plastics were stamped with that triangle of arrows. So it's this international recycling symbol has a different number in the middle of it. Um, So recycling bins soon started to become full of trash because people thought these logos just were synonymous with like, this is recyclable, just and everyone just threw everything in the recycling bin. But industry documents from this time showed that like a couple years earlier, typically starting in the 80s, is kind of when like this economic like, um, you know, shift, this like laissez-faire, like capitalism, neoliberalism started. Oil and plastic executives began a very, very quiet but strategic campaign to lobby state legislatures to get plastic just like super like promoted across the country. So almost 40 states started to mandate that this symbol, the recycling symbol appeared on all plastic, even if there was no way for the consumer to recycle it effectively. So 40 states, think about it, had these new recycling symbols. Everyone was throwing everything in the recycling bins. Manufacturers now were left with the issue of like, I can't recycle this and I don't have the labor to sort all of this either. What the fuck are we supposed to do? It's interesting, though, because at the time in the 80s, actually, like, environmental groups also supported the symbol because they thought it would help separate plastic. But little time, you know, that, like, it only made things more confusing. So back to the guy Smith that was running this recycling place, he said that, like, these symbols, you know, while they seemed like a little bit of good faith, all it did was made all plastic look the same. Um, But the numbers, you know, they are very confusing. We're going to get more into, into this later about, like, the consumer guide of, like, what to do with plastics. But the different numbers help to, you know, they help manufacturers more than consumers. They identify the resin in the plastic. So the recyclers who actually sell these resins to manufacturers like utilize this. But I think also another like neoliberal thing is that like us as individuals have to like look at the little number on our yogurt container and figure out how to recycle it. Like so much action is put and responsibility is like put onto us versus put onto the people that are making these plastics and promoting them and profiting off of them. So this gets into like the individuation of economic responsibility, which is also like known as neoliberalism, that people begin to believe more and more could be recycled than actually could. And it kind of created this conscience in the United States that like, or I guess also this ambivalence or this amnesia that like, 
yeah, nothing bad is happening to the planet. We're all recycling. Like in the eighties, it was very much like, yeah, we have the clean air act. Now we have the environmental protection agency. Like we're recycling everything. It's all good. But reality, like the rich got even more rich off of this decision to profit off of single use plastic. So the oil industry as an example is going to be the one that profits the most off of this. They make more than 400 billion a year making plastic. Um, And as this demand now in like 2022 for oil and cars and like trucks that rely on that energy declines, the industry is telling people that like, we got to go to plastics to find the profit. Like that's where they are telling shareholders to move to away from like oil and gas stuff. And the next two phrases that you guys probably know, um, if you're like interested in sustainability at all about like individual action is going to be like the reduce, reuse, recycle, like thinking about like, you have to do all this stuff. And I think it's important. I think people don't think enough the first R enough of like reducing what you buy because, you know, girlies, even if you're thrifting, you could still be over consuming a lot. I'm guilty of that. Like in high school, I was just buying new shit. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm thrifting circular economy, secondhand. Like I'm not buying anything new, whatever. Um, and then the second phrase is like carbon footprint. So this was created by like oil companies in the eighties to make sure that like customers, consumers cared more about their individual action than like the net emissions. So my carbon emissions of like me taking a flight or how much plastic I'm buying. There's so many calculators online that like you can figure out your own carbon emissions, but it just isolates you away from the larger political things that are happening. And that's like the biggest issue with all of this individual um, neoliberal political thought. So that brings us to the current state of plastic. Now, what's going on now? Um, In 2018, China stopped taking most plastic waste from the US. This was where like most place people people, countries uh, put their plastics. So about 70% of the world's plastic waste goes to China, which is about 7 million tons a year. So now that the U.S. can't put their plastic in or bring their plastic to China, there's this huge issue of like what to do with the waste. The whole plastic industrial chain from the oil industry to recyclers is also under pressure. Like everyone top to bottom is like, what do we do with all this plastic? But the reason that like everything I've stressed on with plastic is so confusing is because of deregulation. So a regulation is basically like a lock or a bolt on something that the government or private industry can do. So biggest example in the 1970s, before we had seatbelts, which a lot of the CMOS girlies didn't know, or like things like before you could smoke on it or you you were able to smoke on an airplane, government regulations came into play and they said, we're going to stop this action so people can't do it for most of the time in the name of like public health or a broader like consumer safety goal. Um, When it comes to plastic, like this deregulation push is that there's a mash of like probably 20,000 local governments doing their own fucking thing when it comes to plastics. And there's private interests, there's public interests that all were like, we want to have a recycling symbol, we want to have these bins, no, we want to do this, we want to have um, new plastics, we don't, we don't have virgin plastics, we don't have old ones. So it's so messy because there's so many branches of government that are like making the rules and that's why we don't know what the fuck's going on versus if we had a, like a federal guideline of what to do with plastics, everyone across the US would be doing the same shit. But the biggest thing to know is obviously with plastic pollution, whether it's in our oceans or coastlines or contributing to climate change, like it impacts vulnerable communities first, just like everything with climate change. So even if the plastic is not ending up in the ocean that you swim in, like recycled plastic is often exported from high income companies to developing countries to process. So once again, if it's not in your backyard, it's still probably happening and contributing to harm somewhere. Um, So that's sort of the current state of plastic in politics. Yes. And then that kind of gets into like how this all like connects to our health, because as Kate mentioned, a lot of this does kind of then streamline into other effects. And I think like, you know, the idea of like microplastics and how that impacts your health is maybe something that like the average Joe doesn't really think about. And honestly, like, it's not really something that I even really think about in regards to my own personal health. And I think just because it is such like a new public health threat and there's such little information on like how these plastics are going to impact our health down the road. And I think also it's because, you know, like when we do ingest, you know, these like microplastics and I'll explain like how it gets into our food systems, you know, the, the main threats are going to occur internally versus like externally. So, you know, like a lot of us care a lot about, you know, like wearing sunscreen so we don't get like sunburn because like the impacts of like being in the sun too long is like an external, um, effect, but like you can physically see it like on your skin that like something bad is happening, but when it happens more, on the inside, it's really hard to like know that like, oh, something is um, happening. So I think like kind of like starting off and explaining like how microplastics get into our food systems. 
it's largely due to like poor management of plastics. And this includes, you know, just through the dumping of plastic waste into oceans, you know, the microbeads that are found in exfoliants, they're so tiny, you know, like these microbeads, like microplastics are generally like five millimeters long. So they're like very easy to dismiss from like the human eye. And so they're able to escape like water filtration systems and end up in our oceans or other bodies of water. And then, you know, other things will include like extensive use of water bottles, food packaging. That's like a huge part because now so much uh, food that we do purchase comes in these plastic packaging containers. Then also like synthetic textiles. So even like, you know, the fashion industry has a huge um, impact on, you know, the creation of like microplastics and them leading into the oceans because a lot of like synthetic, synthetic textiles that are now utilized, such as like polyester and acrylic, when you are washing these in a washing machine, basically the microplastics that are, you know, part of these textiles end up like shedding from these garments and then they end up in water sewage. And so, you know, there's so many different like various sources of where microplastics can come from. And so these macroplastics basically end up in our water systems and which causes then our ocean or other bodies of water to become contaminated. And this poses like a great, the greatest threat onto like marine and freshwater organisms the most because they are going to end up ingesting this contaminated water. And when they do this, this is how the microplastics end up in like the, the, the digestive tracts and stomachs of these fish. And even when then they consume like other fish down like the food chain. So, you know, like you know, there's like the zooplankton, then there's, you know, the sardines or whatever, and then like the salmon and then like the sharks, et cetera. And this can also be found and also impact farm fish that are found like in aquaculture systems because farm fish, you know, the feed that they consume is largely made up of other fish. And so like those fish, if they have already consumed microplastics or other fish that had consumed microplastics before them, that is all kind of getting then created and will be found in this feed, which will then end up in the farm fish will then, you know, end up on your plate essentially. And there also is like emerging evidence that microplastics and synthetic fibers have been found in other food sources, such as like honey, salt, sugar, beer, and water. And so it's like really so prevalent in our food system. But again, it's like so hard to know because they really cannot be like seen by the human eye. And so this is where, you know, it kind of ends up, you know, posing some sort of potential threat to humans or why like a lot of like public health officials and like scientists are really doing like research and digging into, you know, how is this going to impact humans? Because we as humans are at the end of the food chain. So we are ingesting, you know, or absorbing some amount of like these microplastics that have been consumed by, you know, living species before us without really knowing. And so really it's like this buildup over time and the exposure to other chemicals through the process that can pose a threat to our health. And so on average, you know, from like research, we will consume about 44 pounds of microplastics in our entire lifetime. And, you know, that is kind of like sort of a daunting number. I can't even really like imagine like what that even actually fully looks like. And obviously there's going to be like different, like very, um, you know, different things that are going to really like, you know, cause that number to, you know, ebb and flow between each individual. But there, the risk for contamination, I think, from like the consumption of fish depends on like also, again, like a few factors. So again, like this 44 pounds number is going to vary because the microplastics that end up in the stomach of the fish, um, it's going to like vary by each different fish. So this won't include like shellfish because when humans consume shellfish, we are discarding the stomachs and you take out like the little gut and sh the shrimp of the seafood before we like consume them. Then also like the retention time of particles in the gut. So like how long, you know, have these like particles been in the gut of like the fish. And then also the degree to which like the cont chemical contaminants can be transferred um, from the consumed fish into the human body. So like what percentage of those are we like actually absorbing from the fish that we're consuming? Um, but regardless, we will probably be consuming some sort of microplastics. I know like Kate kind of like talks a lot about like, um, you know, the whole statistic about like, you know, maybe consuming like a credit card's worth of plastic, like a week or whatever, if you consume fish and whatnot. And we did a whole episode on like fish and climate change. And you can go back and listen to that if you're like really interested in kind of like the ethics of consuming fish, like what to see, search for and whatnot, like other like certifications. But I'm just going to provide like a general guide because I think like a lot of our listeners do consume fish or if you're like considering consuming fish, like where to start. And so the reason that like, you know, there is so much emphasis on fish again is due to like the reasons that I mentioned previously, but also like plastic contamination and like heavy metal mercury, um, which is like the, a really huge one, a toxic chemical um, they build up 
um, within fish, but again, it'll like vary depending on the fish um, based off of like how and when and where they were caught and whether they like were farmed or wild caught um, and just like where they reside in the food chain. And mercury again is like a reason for concern because it builds up in the bodies of fish in the form of methyl mercury, which is a toxic compound to the human body. And when we consume high levels of it, it can impact like brain function, heart health, um, the nervous system, you know, we kind of always hear about like mercury poisoning. And so like one rule of thumb is that like larger and longer living fish are the ones that you're going to want to avoid because they will contain the highest levels of mercury. And so this will include, you know, things like shark, swordfish, tuna, king mackerel, grouper. Most of us probably aren't consuming shark, but I know like some of us are probably consuming like tuna or like grouper. And so the fish to eat, there's this um, acronym SMASH that we've mentioned in other episodes. And these are basically going to be like smaller fish that are lower on the food chain and contain the least amount of like mercury and toxins. So this will be your salmon, your Atlantic mackerel, anchovies and sardines, and then herring. So that's like a good rule of thumb when it comes to like fish, if you are looking to maybe avoid or reduce your potential exposure to microplastics in regards to consuming fish. But then, you know, this kind of gets into like other ways that we interact with the food system. One of them is going to again be like through like microwaves and specifically, you know, microwaving plastics. And I think we're all, you know, guilty of probably doing this or have heard like you shouldn't be microwaving stuff like in a plastic container. And this is largely because many of the food containers that currently exist in our food system contain polycarbonate plastics, which have the bioactive chemicals such as BPA. So what is BPA? Um, it stands for bi bisphenol A, which is an industry chemical that's used to make like specific plastics and resins. And it's been around um, since the 1950s. And there's been like an overall consensus consensus by scientists and they agree that like BPA can act like estrogen and disrupt hormone function, which is like the biggest threat to um, human health in regards to plastics. But also like early government studies have also found that like no evidence of no evidence that people are exposed to enough BPA can actually produce an effect. So that's why it is like considered generally safe. And that is why BPA is still like allowed to be utilized in America versus like other countries that have banned BPA. But so when you are microwaving a plastic container that contains like BPA or other, you know, type of like plastics or polymers, um, essentially when it is heated, these man-made chemicals can leach into the food when heated. And so again, like I mentioned, like why this is bad or potentially bad for human health is that like these chemicals can mess with hormones, specifically estrogen, and will then interfere with the pathways in the thyroid gland and then hinder effects of like to test testosterone. So kind of like one way to sort of like visualize this because it's like, okay, hormones, how does this work? Like, I don't know what the inside of my body looks like. You know, hormones are like these little messengers that are floating throughout your bloodstream and body and they prompt different organs and systems to work together. So when you eat something that has like a very similar structure to hormones it and can act like a hormone, it can really throw off this balance that is needed for the body to properly function. I think like for anyone who does menstruate in an experience some sort of period, you will know that like a hormonal imbalance is like so easy to develop, you know, like PMS symptoms, for example, we really should not be experiencing any PMS symptoms if we have like balanced hormones, but due to like so many like environmental factors and like how we eat and stress, like it can totally like mess up your hormones. And that's why, again, like consuming these like plastics can be like very bad because like the smallest amount could totally like ruin your entire like system. And there have been like studies on like animals, specifically like on aquatic animals. And they have found that these can disrupt hormones by blocking other sex hormones and also through like disrupting the thyroid system. But obviously, you know, when it comes to studies on animals versus humans, there's going to be different effects. And so then this kind of gets into like plastic water bottles and like drinking water. Um, studies have found that like microplastics were found in about 93% of plastic water bottles in the 11 brands that they tested on. And this includes like Aquafina, Dasani, Evian, um, Nestle. And a lot of water bottles are made from plastic number one. So, you know, there's a whole range of different numbers when it comes to like plastics, but this one in particular contains polyethylene terephthalate or PET. And there's been like some evidence that this can be an endocrine disruptor and again, alter hormones. And this type of plastic is going to be BPA free, but phylates can still seep into water, especially when exposed to high temps or when they're stored for long periods of time. And then also another brand, Poland Spring, actually does use plastic number seven, which does contain BPA. 
And so that's why, I mean, like, I think like everyone kind of knows like plastic water bottles are like terrible a for the environment and you should just be like using a reusable water bottle, but then kind of like, you know, going to like a step further and like thinking about actually like the health implications that drinking plastic water can do to you. And then, you know, in regards to like filtered water versus tap, there is so much like push to have like a Berkey water filter and like all these like fancy things and, you know, like trace mineral drops out into your water, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and sort of like, kind of like figuring out, you know, is filtered water better than tap water? Because like, it'll, will it reduce, you know, microplastics or like other, you know, chemicals in your water that you're consuming? It's generally agreed that like in America specifically that tap water can be just as good as filtered, assuming that the tap satisfies um, the health and safety codes for your specific community. Now, of course, this is going to like vary and there's exceptions to the rules such as like Flint, Michigan, you know, they are known to like have like lead in your, in their water because of like the crumbling infrastructure and poor management by government. So like some people obviously are going to be put at a disadvantage, unfortunately. And then like that scenario, yeah, their best option might be bottled water, which still isn't even like a great option, but the U S tap water is regulated by the EPA. And so they do place safety thresholds, um, to basically limit the amount of microorganisms and other contaminants that can be found in your tap water. So essentially like drinking tap water is totally fine and safe. And it's actually very interesting because I think like a lot of these like water filter systems that a lot of us probably have in our homes aren't actually doing as much as we think they are. And they're really mainly just changing the odor or taste to become more palatable, which is fine if you're like someone who wants your water to taste like as like fresh and clean as possible. But if you're like buying a water filter because you're like, I want to kill like extra contaminants and bacteria, um, you know, additional like micro biological decamination would require some sort of like UV light or like other sterilization tools. And so like the water filter that's sitting in your fridge is actually doing very little to kill additional contaminants or bacteria. And also like constantly drinking purified water could actually have, you know, health impacts as well, because if your body is so used to consuming, consuming highly filtered water that like contains like, you know, no, um, you know, foreign, whatever bacteria, et cetera, it can cause your gut flora to get like used to that higher, highly purified water. And so when you do accidentally drink like water that isn't sterilized, like, let's say you go to like a different country and you drink their tap water. If you go to a restaurant, like in a different town, you actually put your gut at risk at like overreacting even more than like someone who does consume tap water, because someone who is, you know, regularly consuming tap water, they're being exposed to these other like bacteria, microorganisms in their water. And so, you know, like water, just like any other kind of like industry, whether it's like cars, et cetera, it's part of like the commercial market. So really like these plans that these brands, you know, make are kind of to place fear in like the consumer in an effort to convince you to purchase their, you know, $400 like water filter, even though that they're like likely going to be doing very little change to the safety of your water. And so really, you know, just drink your damn water, y'all just drink your damn water And, you know, again, I think like kind of cap off this like health stuff, there are still like a lot of like lack of studies in regards to human health in regards to like microplastics. And I think like more and more research needs to be done. And I think there will become more. And because also again, like plastics have only been, you know, part of like the food system, really like our society in a really like prevalent and big way for, you know, not very long, you know, maybe since like the 1900s. And again, like I mentioned earlier, the studies on animals will not guarantee the same results as humans. And most studies on humans are based on like the impacts of these like chemicals and plastics are mostly epidemiological, meaning like scientists are only able to really talk about the associations between exposures and outcomes. And also many plastics yield a lot of byproducts that aren't tested for safety. So when like scientists do go out, you know, into the world and try to like do and conduct these studies, it's really hard to isolate the effects on one specific chemical. Um, but I think like, if you are someone who wants to limit their exposure to plastics, I think that's like something that like would be like a good general rule of thumb, kind of like where to start. It can be like really daunting. Cause it's like, I just mentioned a million ways that like you can find microplastics in your food. You know, the biggest one will be like consuming a whole food plant-based diet and really like avoiding produce that comes in plastic storage. And now I know that can be like extremely hard, like so much produce at Trader Joe's comes in like plastic and even like at Whole Foods. Um, And then, you know, like not microwaving foods and beverages and plastic containers and opting for like glass or stainless steel. And then, you know, drinking tap water versus bottled water. So, you know, just like reusing your 
I don't know, whatever reusable water bottle is that you have. And then, you know, avoiding certain plastic codes, the ones that do have like known um, impacts are going to be three, six, and seven. And these are fat. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the scientific terms for these plastics, but if you see the plastic code 367, if you like remember to even like look at the fucking bottom of your water bottle or like plastic container, if you see those, maybe don't purchase that. But I think again, it's like, there's only so much that you can do. And I think like a lot of people, you know, love to cling on to one thing that they think will like save their life. And that's why I think like, there's so many of these like hippie ultra, like, you know, um, I'm going to do a detox or a colonic. Or yeah. It's so like the detox or yes. Those type of people like try to like go and buy these like water filter systems. Cause they think it's going to like change their life and protect them. But it's like the salmon that they're also eating on their plate probably contains microplastics. And so I think it's like, again, like there's only so much you can do. And I think just like now how like fucked up the world is due to like, you know, poor management and like lack of regulation, et cetera, that there's like really no way to kind of like avoid this stuff. So I don't think like, you know, out of a long list of health things to be concerned about, microplastics is probably more at the bottom of the list because you don't really know if you are like a hundred percent going to be like avoiding these or not. Yeah. I think it's figuring out how to live with the contradictions. I think that's the healthiest way to live. Um, cause if you are so nitpicky and concerned with everything, like we know that, you know, Oh, you're so concerned about how this food's going to affect you. Like I'm eating sugar and I'm freaked out about it. Yeah. You're not going to digest it because your body's in a state of stress. So if you're freaking out, like, oh, I'm going to eat plastics. Yeah. You might have some digestive issues because you're like psyching yourself out. And like, Emma was saying, like, that's the whole conversation that we've had with veganism. If you want to listen to that episode that like, yeah, you're, you're eating your acai bowl out of season. Did the people that like pick the strawberries were they paid a fair wage? What were those labor conditions? Right. Like, so it's something to not make you feel like every consumer action you do is bad. But at the end of the day, every consumer action is probably bad, right? Like there's really no ethical, I hate when people say that and they're like socialist perk, even though like I'm a socialist, but like there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Like it pretty much is true. Like with the way that capitalism is now, like the way that you are going to find joy and community is like outside of your individual consumer actions. And if you're someone that's like sitting on TikTok, like I would never eat that or like, I can't imagine you eat that. It's so bad for your, shut up, shut up. Why are you like going at another individual who's like living their life and being happy? So that's kind of my take. Like, yeah, plastic stuff. I don't really, you know, care about it. Like Emma said as well. So kind of getting into a consumer guide, if you are curious about like the plastic problem that we have just created here is the thing is that plastics are dealt with on a local government level, making it pretty difficult for people to want to do that work like local government is very unsexy the websites don't work like talking to your local city council person versus like getting pissed about what trump did is like you know you're actually doing the work if you are going at the local government level so if you have a question about recycle recyclables like what works in your community you're going to want to call a local government office for the most accurate information just because plastics are dealt with on like a local level like that's going to be able where you can figure out like what the fuck do i do with this plastic deodorant bottle um but with plastic once again there's about 20 different categories of material but there are blends and hybrids and so most possess their own characteristics after being like you know, like manufactured in so many different ways. Some are very easily recyclable. Some are not, some can be melted. Some can be chemically broken down. So like, it's, it's just like too difficult for you to be like nitpicky about like the numbers about like, this is what I can do with this plastic. And this is what I can't. So here is kind of a list about like what things are recyclable and what are not. Um, some of this shocked me, some of this like didn't really. So things that are not recyclable, it's going to be plastic wrap. So Emily Mariko, I'm honestly shocked. No one has come at her for using so much single use plastic. Like where's eco TikTok? Maybe they've stitched her, but like, honey, you are promoting just like single use plastic in your fucking salmon rice thing every day. You know, um, deodorant is another one just because there's so many different chemical particles and the likelihood of you to like clean out like the random deodorant, like, uh, you know, excess is very unlikely. Small plastics. So this is going to cause a lot of issues for recycling equipment. It's going to be something that's smaller than three inches. So think about like bread bag chips, pill packaging, single use condiment pouches, like ketchup or mustard, flexible packaging. So like potato chip bags, those are going to be so many layers of plastic when you think about like how it can expand and like contract often lined with aluminum as well. Foam polystyrene. Um, this is going to be things that are in like meat packaging or egg car- cartons that you cannot recycle. And plastic bags, that's going to be the biggest one. Um, You cannot recycle plastic. There have been so many random as fuck dudes that I see recycling. And I'm like, when was it ever learned that you can recycle like 
plastic bags, let alone like a tomato. Like I've been at a guy's apartment and he like recycled the banana peel. I'm like, who told you that? Where are we getting that information? Like, once again, it's like thinking that like, oh, I threw this in a recycling bin, like good, I did a good thing. Like, no, you're just causing an issue down the line that you're not seeing. And that's why plastic waste is so easy. Like, I'm going to talk a little bit about zero waste here, but if anyone knows Lauren Singer, who now runs Plastic Free Shop in Brooklyn, um, she did a very viral YouTube video talking about like my zero waste journey. Like I used a month of plastic and it fit into a mason jar and my month worth of waste like fit into a plastic jar. I watched that and I was like, there's no way in hell I could do that financially. There's no way in hell like any middle of American, middle of America person could fucking do that. Um, But at the same time, like she was visualizing her waste and it made me really interested of like, yeah, that's a lot of the reason why we don't care because there is this throwaway culture in the U.S. that like I throw it away it's someone else's issue it's not mine now the things that are recyclable so beverage bottles so they are recyclable just make sure you remove the plastic film label which is not other bottles like cleaning supplies um just rinse before putting in your bin plastic clamshells that's going to be like plastic food takeout containers yogurt containers butter tubs like just make sure you are washing those things out but they should be good to go um And the next section, we didn't really get into a lot because it's just kind of like a one-dimensional thing is that like, there are alternatives. Like you could go get a metal straw. Like you could go get something with bamboo and like glass, you could do that instead. Um, Bioplastics is something that's kind of buzzy, like something that could be composted. But a lot of these substitutes, like the really, not glass or something that has been known, but the bioplastics, like, hey, did you know that your deodorant is made from like someone's old tennis shoe, you know, like something like that, uh, they can still cause waste just because like they're made from biologically raw materials sometimes like algae also. Um, it can be very expensive to like make these new products. It's very time consuming. And sometimes like if you're taking someone's old pair of like sneakers and making it into a toothbrush, that can cause bad byproducts. So there is like an environmental like harm perspective from that. So that's why it's better to just stick with glass and also just think about consuming less overall. Um, Cause the thing is, is that like plastic, when you think about it, it's a great material. So inventive. Like the first bitch that made plastic, like, I don't know who we didn't do the history of like when was plastic created, but like when they made that, holy shit, think about all the stuff you could do, right? Like, oh my God, I can make a plastic hanger. Like, oh my God, I can make... What are some other great plastic things? Like this is not me glorifying plastics. No one snipped this audio. Um, you know, silverware that you can like travel with. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Just all the random shit, like deodorant, like floss, like, wow, like all this random stuff you can do. Um, It's not a bad material. It's just like our materialistic, like throwaway culture attachment to plastic that like we don't think about how much plastic we are consuming. So when it gets to solutions, there's this kind of like big question that I have thought a lot about is like, do we invent something that people can use that they can toss away that doesn't harm the environment? So like bamboo or glass. So we can change that. Or do we, or sorry, we can change the materials actually, or can we change people's habits? Can we change people's single use throwaway mindset in primarily Western countries? That's kind of the question. And I think people are dealing with both of it. Like, how do you get people more aware about their plastic, but also like in the meantime, just make people use glass. I don't know which one is an easier pill to swallow because I think people are pretty much just like, I'm going to do what works with me. People are very hesitant to change. Um, But at the same time, like a lot of the ways that we could make all this plastic stuff into new materials is way too expensive to scale that it's going to like be in every household by tomorrow. And it's literally 50 degrees in December in New York. So this is kind of the same thing with like the vegan conversation where like, yeah, by the time every household has impossible meat, um, we're all going to be dead. So thinking about like the the things that are the most prominent fossil fuels that are contributing to harm and addressing that in a, in a swift manner. So kind of the individual action, um, analyzing your consumption habits. So I'm someone where obviously I'm very conscious of how I touch the environment and like impact the environment in my actions. However, it's not the most effective way to exhaust your energy a lot. Like Jeff Bezos could throw a lot more money at something than I could tomorrow. There is that level of income inequality and all of like the socioeconomic racial disparities that go along with like you making a quote, like choice or an individual action. But I think, like I said before, the evil isn't plastic. It's only using something once. Now you don't have to like go ahead and use like, I don't know, like a cleaning supplies and make it into like like a a hair band or something like you don't need to get like DIY like there are those like vegan like hippie DIY people that will upcycle everything you don't have to do that 
but really analyzing your consumer patterns and like what you do and like what you don't need to do is a really easy place to start. Um, also, there's a lot of things that are plastic that are very reasonable. Like my brother has disabilities and like he is the one who hates those compostable straws the most. They're not accessible. And like people with disabilities have to use plastic straws. Surgical gloves. Like we're not using bamboo gloves to do a fucking open heart surgery, guys. Sorry. Um, but the next thing is that like uh, with this disposability is like, zero waste. I think I spoke about it earlier, but it's very hard to achieve. I don't, if you want to make that your goal, go ahead. But I just think that like multiplying your own power is something that I think is much more impactful. And what I mean by that is influencing the people you touch. So like friends, family, roommates, compost. That's one place that I think that like, I was really like activated by a few years ago is like, can I get a compost to my house? Can my family do it? Like, could my community do it? I think if you're in college, one way to scale this is like thinking about your college environment, like, or your roommates. Can we all start to compost together? Um, Every Saturday, can we all go to the farmer's market and drop off our food scraps? Like, could my school get rid of this material in our cafeteria? That is some way that it's going to scale much better than you doing some zero waste shit alone in your apartment, isolated, right? Like if you have a social media platform sharing, it might feel cringe and performative, but I'm always the ask, like I've thought a lot about performative social media. And I think if you have a platform and like you want to share about it, it only can influence one person to do it better. Like people might say like, oh, you're just, you're posting your zero waste because you want to look like that. Okay. And if it changes someone else, that's more than me not talking about it, right? Um, tote bags is another one. I think a lot of like, honestly, like boomers don't have tote bags. They just like are used to the plastic. So maybe get your parents a tote bag. I feel like- Next Christmas, get them a tote bag, throw it in their stocking. Yeah. They'll, they'll be grateful. My parents, they didn't use reusable bags for the longest time. Now my mom and dad, they each have like 10 or 15 in their car. Yeah, <laughs> it happens overnight. Um, or get someone like one of those stow gel reusable mugs. If they're like a, a coffee out person, that could be a cute gift. The next one I said, like influence institutions. So a lot of young activists have convinced school boards to stop using lunch trays that are used this material called polystyrene. And now they use cardboard instead. Um, NYU now has these like takeout containers that were lobbied by like the student environmental group that are reusable and you just have to pay for them. Another thing though, is that like, there is hope. I don't want to like seem doom and gloom about climate change. It, we do have a very short window, but in some ways, like using a plastic water bottle is kind of like using like a mink coat, like back in the day, or like a pack of cigarettes. Like, I don't think there's as much of a taboo about cigarettes, but there was for a while in the eighties. It's not socially acceptable for someone to like yeah, buy a 12 pack of water bottles. Everyone kind of looks at you like, why the fuck are you doing that? Like, why do you need that much plastic? You know, um, there is a growing market as well for stuff like bottles, packaging bags, but the issue is that, yeah, it's really tough to compete against really cheap virgin plastic. So when it gets to systemic stuff, um, the circular economy is like something that's, you could study and like analyze. If you're a business, you could implement that. Pretty sure most of the CMOS girlies do not have businesses, but that's kind of like a catchphrase for a lot of businesses to like you say that what they're going to do out of the plastic mess. When it comes to government policies, this is the biggest push. I'm a very like pro-government person. I think like the government can do great things. I think we've all been just made to distrust the government. Like I could right now, what has the Democratic Party done in the past two years? Not much tangibly to change people's lives. But recycling companies, for example, they need huge investments for the government. Like they need to get off the ground to compete with oil industry that is just pumping out virgin plastic every single day. And they have to do that to show that they have a market for their products. And so they need commitments either mandated by law or voluntary by consumer good companies to buy their recycled plastic, you know, like. We also could do something on the other side of that, like impacts the consumer is like plastic straw bans or plastic bag bans. Like maybe people pay a tax for what they're doing. It does shift the consumer mindset. But once again, I think you are pointing at the wrong thing. Like the consumers are the issue, but the bigger issue is that like there is a supply of plastic available. Like if we cut off, like we are no longer making virgin plastic, people wouldn't be buying plastic. So I think the the punishment or the investment needs, the punishment needs to go on fossil fuel companies and the investment needs to go on companies that are doing the right thing. And some nonprofit groups or companies that you might want to look into is like, there's one recycling company called TerraCycle. They're based in Trenton, New Jersey. I've heard about them a lot, but they invented this loop program and it's like, you buy something from them, the UPS will pick up your bag of empties once you're done with it and ships it back to TerraCycle. So it's closing the loop um, in the circular economy. And there's bigger companies like Procter & Gamble and Nestle and Unilever that are participating in this experiment. But at the same time, like by the time that this scales to every single company, like we're not going to actually address the issue of us just producing a shit ton of plastic. And the next one is that like Greenpeace. So like the more 
environmental group side, kind of like the view about plastic is that like, just because something is technically recycled doesn't mean it will be. There's going to have to be an industry robust enough to do it and a profit, right? Like we do live in capitalism as Ursula Le Guin says, and like, it's all around us is like, we do have to think about the financial incentive of like getting off of plastic. Um, And if you also, like I said this before, like want to really think about how you could scale action, it's going to be local level. So if you're in college thinking about environmental groups are thinking about a professor you could bounce some ideas off of like what does the school do like divestment from fossil fuels is a big one that universities are doing um bill mckibben and 350.org does a lot with helping like student activist groups help their university divest or protest their university and then if you're out of school and you're just living in the world um it's going to be local branches of government most of the time it's going to be city council people that you can talk to the parks board is going to deal with a lot of these issues about like water safety and like composting and plastic use. So that's probably the best place to start. Um, Sorry for the international CMOS girlies. I don't know much about international government. I do know that most Eastern European countries are doing it better than the US. Um, But that's sort of the episode about plastics. Um, I think like Emma and I said a lot of times, like don't feel like you are burdened by this as an individual. I think if you do care about this, that's a good sign because a lot of people don't give a shit. So just tapping into ways that make sense and also that are not making you broke is going to be the best. Yeah. And I think also it's like, you don't have to be perfect. Like doing like one of these things is better than none. And, you know, you know, I think that if you do put so much pressure to like be perfect and like do everything right, you're going to probably just end up like not sticking to like these new habits and whatnot. So I think, you know, give yourself some slack. Everyone's just trying to do their best. And unfortunately it is not made easy in the current system and world that we live in. Yeah. Um, imperfect activists are better than like not doing anything. And like Emma said, yeah, don't ever feel like the weight is on your shoulders of the world's on your shoulders. Cause it's not, um, it's not, we do wish that the CMOS girlies, you know, controlled more of the world, but we're getting there slowly. We'll figure out the scale of that. Um, yeah. Like that, another Sunday at 12.39 p.m. Eastern. Um, what a great day, start to our day. Yeah, um, great, great day, great start to the new year. Um, any fun, exciting things occurring in your world for us today, Kate? Going to the Whitney Art, Art Museum, knock on wood that nothing cursed happened. I've had many dates were in there before, um, so we'll see. Emma? Are they? Do they have any new, like- Jasper new- Johns. Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to the Whitney in a hot, hot second. I don't know if you have to wear a mask and like, I don't know if that's just going to make the, the whole, the, the date just like. I feel you know. like the Whitney would probably be annoying in that regard. I went to Metrograph the other day with the guy that I'm dating and yeah, we had to wear like the mask and I was like, I, mm, I don't know about, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this anymore, but yeah. you know, gotta be responsible. <laughs> Omicron, o- OMG icon variant still alive and well in New York, but for me, I'm going to work out, go on a walk. Today's like my quiet day alone, my reset. Um, I had a very fun, fun weekend. You were killing it. I was killing it. There's a lot occurring for me. Um, I was randomly out until 3 a.m. on New Year's Eve. And I told my dad that last night. And he's like, who are you? That's different for you. He's like, I don't think I didn't know you have, you could even stay up that late. I was like, I didn't know either. And like the guy <laughs> that I'm like dating and seeing, he was like, I'm, this was like a late night for you. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly why I need to like be alone on Sunday so I can like recharge my social battery. People yeah. are nice, but I being in a group, I'm like, oh, wow. I forgot how to interact with more than one individual at once. Yeah. We live in a society. I really forget that there's people out there. It's really odd. I feel like New York will honestly be back to normal by the end of January just because it was so awkward like a few weeks ago here not awkward but like scary everyone had COVID like yeah so hopefully soul cycle you have to wear masks again like in the class which is new um new. luckily my gym so far doesn't require us to wear masks which is like nice I suppose but like everyone's like vaccinated and whatnot and I'm like does that even mean anything anymore but also I'm like Meh. Yeah, nothing. We know nothing. Also, CMOS Girlies, um, this is like last announcement. We'll run out the pod, but we will be having another live podcast event from the Alchemist Kitchen. Now, the sound quality will be better. Um, I will be testing it before we get there and we will mm-hmm. be figuring it out. So those who do not live in New York and aren't there can actually fucking hear what we're saying. Uh, apologies on that one. Big flop on my behalf. Um, so yeah, we're doing another pod. The event details will come out soon. We're doing like a little ice cream Sunday thing and you get to like leave with a gift bag. So 
fun, fun time. Always nice to get some new products in the new year to try out. And we look forward to seeing you guys. That'll probably be our first world domination event. And then who knows? Yes. All uphill from there. Um, but anyway, um, again, like the pod, share the pod, give us a review of the pod, share the memes, join Geneva. You guys have a whole laundry list of things that you need to do. A lot of homework assignments. <laughs> a lot of homework um, you can't be slacking in 2022. Um, we gave you, you know, we let we're you guys, your- you know, not do that much in 2021, but things are different this year. We're your cool, we're your cool hippie wellness professors. Like, you know how there's that archetype of like the cool aunt that is not married and just like travels and gets you something weird. Emma and I are like the cool hippie professor that talks about tempe. Like, I, I want you to be on time, but I don't want you to be stressed. Like you can check your phone. Like if but, you went on to rate my professor, we would have a 5.0 star rating. Yeah. So I, I hope y'all took notes during the plastic lessons next week. We're going to come in with another hard hitter. Who knows? But we'll see what it comes out to be. Okay. Bye dog. Love potting. Bye. with you. Peace out.